Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So this morning, we're continuing this little exploration of origin stories. And if you were able to join us last week, then we began with creationism, a theory about the world being created by our God in Christianity. And even though this is something that is recorded in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, and it is shared by our Judaic and Muslim brothers and sisters in faith, Not all of us have the same understanding of our creation. And one of the things that the United Methodist Church celebrates that I am grateful for is that our minds, our rational minds, our intellect, our ability to think and reason and explore, that is a blessing, a gift from God. It is such a wonderful thing that in the United Methodist tradition, we say that it is part of the tools that we use to prayerfully discern to theologically reflect, to determine who God is, who God wants us to be, and what God would have us do. So our mind is an incredible gift. And from the work of the rational mind have come all kinds of different fields and specialties, all kinds of branches of science and medicine. And these things are an incredible blessing. They not only help us to care for and develop a passion about the world and the creatures that live upon it, but they help us to better understand and care for our own bodies and one another. They give us the ability to provide healing and comfort for those who are sick or those who are ill, those who are nearing their mortality. As we reflect on these things, we know that the church also holds intention, not just embracing what we are able to conceive and pursue with our minds, but tempering it with the will of God. What would God have us say and do? Believe, speak, and live. And so in the United Methodist Church, we leave space for those things that we can discern for ourselves what we think and believe. As I said last week, it's rather immaterial to me whether you believe the earth was created 4.5 billion years ago or 6,000 years ago if we can agree on the lordship of our Savior Jesus Christ. That Christ is what draws us together and that nuances in belief don't have to destroy our unity. And so as we are continuing this week with evolution, it's important for us to realize that There is no doctrine on evolution or creation in the United Methodist Church that we understand that in some way we were created in the image of God. Now, the nuances or the the peculiars and the particularities of how that happened might not be agreed upon by us, but we also agree that God has given us science and medicine as a blessing in the United Methodist Church, and people understand and weigh that differently. So as we are exploring this morning, one of the struggles is to take some more modern understandings of our world, and especially those things that have come through the ages, through the development of science. How do we take those and explore them and respond to them from a biblical perspective? And that's not always easy, and sometimes it takes some creativity and some ingenuity. But as I was preparing for this sermon, something struck me in a way that it had never done before. 
I've read that passage that I read to you just a moment ago countless times. I've probably read it more. And in fact, I've listened to it more because the gospel account of John is my mother's favorite gospel. In fact, it's probably her favorite book of the Bible. And since she grew up a Southern Baptist, she used to quote it a lot. And so she would quote this a lot to me. Growing up, I heard it repeatedly. So when I read it myself, sometimes I even hear it in my mother's voice. It was something with which I was very familiar, but this time the Spirit led me to a radically different place than it ever had before. And that's because this time I was reading from a perspective of trying to figure out, is there some way that our text might be able to have a conversation with those who believe passionately in evolution? Now, there are Christians who believe in evolution, and there is no prohibition against that in the United Methodist Church. There are atheists and people outside of our religion and Christianity that believe in it. How do we have a conversation with them, especially since this is something that affects educational systems here in the United States? It affects conversations and the way that we look at the world here in our homes and in our friendships and our relationships and in our schools. How do we do that? Well, there are key elements. You have to understand evolution in order to engage with it. And if you find someone who is passionate about evolution, I always find the greatest way to start having a conversation is to ask them, hey, can you tell me your understanding of evolution? I, I would just like to make sure that I understand how you think and feel and invite them to share with you first. And some of the things they'll talk about are that evolution believes that there are things that are good about us, about all life forms, and that we pass those things on to subsequent generations, that they are a value for keeping us safe or helping us to flourish. They are good and joyful things. And so those are the parts of our genetic makeup, our DNA, that we want to pass on. And those are things that resonate deeply with Christians. There are aspects of our faith from its foundation in the religion of ancient Israel through the development of Judaism and into the emergence of Christianity that have been continuous, that have been part of our story, that are deeply cherished, a passion for God, a desire to worship and be in the midst of our maker and creator, a desire to read our holy text and have it be the foundation upon which we build our lives, our religion, and how we think about ordering our world. Those are things that we have received and perpetuated. These are things that we teach and train other Christians. And we understand that this is something that we have to impart into other generations. So whether we are Christian parents raising Christian children, or whether we are adoptive, legally adopted parents, or whether we are those who are honorary parents, we understand that it's important to share the best things that we have with the next generation. This is why so many churches across denominations and around the world invest so much time and energy and their resources into ministries for children and youth, recognizing that you must empower them and equip them and educate them so that the best of us will not die when we die but instead that it will go on to the next generation. And so we are very focused upon that. These are the genetic details, the DNA of our faith that we give to the next generation. And so if you ever had the experience where someone says, you know, you're sounding a lot like your mother right now, or you look so much like your father, 
you've experienced that there seems to be something that we pass on to the next generation. And maybe you look or sound like and act like your parents or your grandparents or someone else that is related, an aunt or an uncle or a cousin, but perhaps you've had this experience. And then there are echoes of that in our faith. There are people, the longer that we are in ministry or are a part of a church in the body of Christ, that there are echoes that we see. And you see someone and you think, my gosh, she reminds me of this woman I knew when I was growing up. And what we discover is the best part of our spiritual DNA that we pass on to the next generation isn't so much our doctrine, our theology, our, our particular way of doing worship. It isn't about a style or some mechanism that we've perfected for a mission or a ministry. But instead, it's the Holy Spirit. It's that peace of God's self that God gives to us, that God allows us to share and pass on. So when you hear or just experience someone and you think, they remind me of another Christian I knew, but there's no way that they could have ever known each other and they're not related and they, didn't go even, they weren't even in the same church. What you might be experiencing is God echoing in them. And that gives us hope because when I read once more for the upteenth time, the prologue, the opening of the gospel account of John, this time something struck me. And it struck me that by saying, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And in the beginning was with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. For what has come into being in him was life. And what we hear here in the scripture today is that there is one, one through whom all life has come. This is a key tenet of evolutionism. The idea that there's a common ancestor and science hasn't been able to nail it down or find it fossilized and we can point to it. We might be able to say this is possibly, this is our theory and there's all kinds of different theories about whether or not it was coming, life coming out of the waters, the, the primordial oceans, whether it was uh, a single-celled being or, and that then got more complex and multiplied over time. There are all kinds of theories. But for the first time in my life, and for a long time I thought I was going to be an oceanographer and spend a significant amount of time studying biology and science, for the first time I read this text and I realized that the Bible gives us a common ancestor, and that ancestor is Christ. And the distinction is that God the Son is bigger than the incarnation of Jesus, that God the Son always existed. That's a testimony we get from the Gospel account of John, that the Christ peace the divinity that was embodied on that first Christmas that then was born of Mary, Jesus, was only the next revelation of Christ. But that Christ, and if we continue reading in John, we've, we hear it more explicitly, that Christ is the Word. And that that Word became flesh, Jesus Christ. And we have seen him, we have glimpsed him, we have experienced his ministry. And that experience, that gospel encounter, that testimony is what we have passed down through the generations. That gift from God, from the first Christians getting to experience God incarnate, has been part of the legacy that we have passed down from countless generations now. And that is who we are, that is essential, that we do believe that God became flesh and walked amongst us experienced what it is to be human and gave all humanity a glimpse of God.
And because of that, we now know that there's a testimony here that all of life came through God the Son. That he was part of the co-creation with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in the beginning. That somehow, some miraculous way and some working probably beyond our rational minds acceptance, that God was in multiplicity creating. And that from that first desire to create came all life. All life came into being through the word, God the Son. And we can all find that. Now, how does that translate in a real-life existence or a real-life conversation or experience that we're going to have with a really staunch evolutionist? Well, next week we're going to talk about Darwinism. Darwinism is a subset of evolutionism. So you can be a believer in evolution and not believe all the tenets of Darwinism. But when you're talking to somebody and you discover that if you're going to have a conversation about where life began you might discover that they start to talk about some of these things. Well, life came from the sea. It didn't come from the Garden of Eden. And there's a, uh, some semblance of there has to be a common ancestor. And, you know, whether it's some kind of microbiological bacterium, it's something like that. But now you can say, you know, I too believe that we have a common ancestor. I do believe that all life came into being through one. Now, they might not immediately start to go, okay, I believe you, it was Christ. But now you've created a place where you both can dwell. You've created a conversational point that they might not have heard before. You've created an opportunity to explore together. What might that mean? And even if we don't have the exact same beliefs and line up everywhere else when we talk about creation and whether things have evolved, the, the truth is that the word evolution is part of our vernacular and not just from this scientific theory. It's part of our culture. It's part of our entertainment industry. For over two decades, children of many ages have been enjoying Pokemon. came to us out of Japan, and there you start with some really cute creature, and it evolves as it goes through its life journey. So does liturgical art. So do the liturgical arts. So does our understanding and the unfolding of our theology. Over time, our theology has become deeper and richer as our experience in life and the longer we live creates a means by which we have to go deeper, explore, and account for variations. Right now, in this global pandemic and the way it has forced us to experience life worship in new ways, will be part of what we pass on to the next generation of Christians. It will change the way Christianity was. Our hope and our prayer is that it will change it for the better. That because of our willingness to use technology and our desire to reach out to those who are already a part of our communion and our membership in the body of Christ, that others will have an opportunity to glimpse, to grasp, and to step into a relationship with a faith community. That somehow, through God's miraculous and divine ways, that this too can become a means of grace for them. It will change the way we think and feel and act in the church for a long time. The ripple effect of this will continue. And if we so choose to look at it as an opportunity, then it becomes a blessing. If we only look at it as a burden or an obstacle, then we won't see ways in which we can embrace this opportunity to flourish even in the midst. So many of our sacred texts that we hold so dear in the Bible 
came from opportunities like this. God's people and prophets didn't stop speaking and preaching the word because they were enslaved in Egypt. They didn't stop speaking and preaching and teaching the word because the northern kingdoms were conquered by the Assyrian Empire. They didn't cease to be the people of God and training up the next generations because they were taken into exile in Babylon. They didn't stop being faithful and looking for ways to go on to perfection in their faith because the Roman Empire had established itself in their midst. Instead, Christianity, Judaism, and the people that were the ancient Israelites have shown us, modern Christians, that we don't stop because of adversity. We allow God to change us, to change our ministry, to change our circumstances so that the fruitfulness never stops, that the effectiveness of the gospel never fails. That is part of the very definition of evolution. Christianity does not look the same as it did in the beginning. Back when it was in the hands of 11 fearful, discombobulated men who had followed Jesus around and still weren't sure they quite understood what had happened in, in his midst. From there, though, they didn't let their fear ena enable them to step back or step out to wander away or to encapsulate themselves and just hold on for the return of Jesus. They allowed the Holy Spirit to take them to new lands, to new people, to use new means so that in his traveling and itinerancy as a tent maker, the apostle Paul started planting churches. And that early Christians who thought that worship was entirely based around gathering for a common meal and reliving that last supper with Jesus through communion, soon discovered a richness that has become our liturgical tradition, that has expanded and emerged into traditional, contemporary, post-contemporary, emergent worship, that all of these have a place because all of them reach different people. We have discovered that the examples of nature and the things that our minds can create and fathom can be a great use to the spreading of the gospel. When we close ourselves off from conversations, what we're actually saying is, I don't really want to be in relationship with you because relationship is going through difficult places, speaking words that aren't easily heard or said, but doing all of this because what is more important than being right or appearing right is being in right relationship the righteousness that comes from saying to a person, we may not agree on exactly how the world was created, but I agree that you are worth more to me than being right. That our relationship is so important that I'm willing to focus on what unites us and look for ways in which you can deepen my faith and maybe I can give you a chance to think a little more deep about what I'm saying. What a glorious way to understand our opportunity to engage with those who do not profess the lordship of our Savior, but instead to look for ways to say, I've heard this conversation about evolution, and I'd love to have a conversation with you. I want to hear what you think and believe, because even if I don't think and believe it, I think and believe that you are important to me.
And in doing so, perhaps this is the next evolution in Christian conversation, that we start to talk to people as if they are precious to us, just as God has always spoken to humankind, knowing that we are precious to our Lord. May we follow the example of Christ our Savior and become more willing to be with those who aren't exactly like us, but in the eyes of God certainly can become that way through a new birth in water and the Spirit. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.